The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Swing and a looper in the left center field. This is going to get down for a base hit. Here comes Phillips. He will score the tying run. In the third goes Rosarena. It's an 8-8 game, and the Rays have the winning run 90 feet away. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. First pitch to him, line back up the middle, but there is Franco to the left of the bag. He turns and throws him out, and the Rays have won it in Atlanta. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our latest show. Today, Brooks Raley discusses his first year with Tampa Bay. Dave and Andy will join us to talk about the upcoming trade deadline, as will Mike Farron on a national level. We'll visit with top draft pick Xavier Isaac, prospect Ronnie Simone, and hear from third base coach Rodney Linares about managing in the World Baseball Classic. Well, we continue on This Week in Race Baseball. Our feature guest this week is reliever Brooks Raley. Brooks, thanks very much for a few minutes. Uh, thanks, Neil, for having me. I know for the team it's probably been a tough week uh, or week and a half stretch here, but as a group the season has been a success to this point. What has it been like for you this first year in the Rays organization? Uh, yeah, I think this last week we, we would like to have played better, but uh, as a whole I feel like we went into the All-Star break in a really good spot, being 10 games over 500 or 9 I think it was, but still competing in the tough AL East and fighting for a wild card spot. But thus far through the year, you know, I've, I would – I would have liked the uh, the less injuries, I guess, for our for our entire team. I think we've done a really good job of having guys in the next man up kind of uh, mentality, and a lot of guys have stepped in, a lot of new faces. And but yeah, just the raise way. I feel like we're continuously uh, competing and making adjustments, and still have sixty something to go. So um, I'm excited for the the home stretch. When you signed a two year deal with this group, and that was the first time you had done so with a major league club. What were you hoping for, and how has it maybe met or exceeded your expectations to this point in this year one? Uh, yeah, when I was kind of, um, I guess, looking at the, the teams, uh, I think I told people out of the gate I never expected the Rays kind of be the team to call just because they kind of had the pieces, it seemed, and obviously understanding and, and talking to Snides and Cash and uh, Eric going over, you know, my value and, and how they would use me and leverage and, you know, left-handed heavy, but but obviously felt like I could get righties out too, and I feel like uh, this season's been a very good, ex- you know, larger sample size you know, there for a while they said I was this, you know, the unluckiest baseball player in 20 and 21. And at times it felt like that, right? You know, and I uh, I feel like things have come statistically better, but the approach has not really changed much and, and being aggressive and throwing strikes and attacking the zone. So, you know, I think this has just been a, an amazing fit for both me and my family. Uh, we've really enjoyed Florida and St. Pete and Tampa and, and obviously uh, during spring training getting down there and going to uh, Siesta Key and doing the beaches and all that kind of stuff. We've never really had that. And in Texas, the water is not quite as clean. So really enjoyed the whole experience and, and definitely enjoyed playing for the Rays. How important is that in terms of you're a dad of, of four to have a family life that is going well and allowing you to perform on the field? Yeah, my, I mean, my kids are really young. Got a, um, my oldest will turn five pretty soon, and then twins that are three, and then a, and a young uh, boy that just turned one over the All-Star break. So very busy and love the, the ability to go home and, and spend time with them and, and come to the ballpark and a very welcoming ballpark for, for families and having lots of entertainment here in the, in the St. Pete, Tampa area to go to the, the, the pier, St. Pete Beach, and, and lots of things that my girls love to go do. And so it's been really fun. We've had lots of family come through here, and it's just been in a very inviting place. And I think people, and like you said, the, the players are successful because their families are comfortable and 
you know, an off day can be really enjoyed versus being stuck in some, you know, larger cities. On the baseball side of things, what have you learned? Because I'm sure you probably heard a lot from the outside. Now that you've been here, what have you taken away and what's helped you the most? Uh, when I when I signed here, I was just so in awe and, and, and really impressed with Snides and Eric and all them being on the same page with what the approach was going to be. But for me, it became a no-brainer and very evident early in the process that, you know, Tampa was the right place. It was the, you know, place where players go to get better and I have you know I didn't want to spend the rest of my career no matter where that was and being a veteran player and, and not knowing what was out there and, and what these guys are doing to kind of make guys successful and from day one the adjustment was probably more usage change up and, and, and like I understood a lot of my spin rates and I understood a lot of where my swing and miss was but they simplified that and, and you know the things that reward you in throwing strike one and attacking the strike zone and the things I do well in soft contact and strikeouts and stuff who kind of continue to get better if I you know honed in on you know maybe using my change up more and my four seam less and kind of switching up some of those things so simplifying a very you know complex process but I have kind of organized those things over the last couple of years so they kind of just fine-tune that and I, and I think I've really flourished because of that. Is there anything that has happened off the field that has helped in the on? And what I mean by that is the Rays, despite all the injuries, do have a reputation in terms of their trainers, whether it's recovery or things that you're doing differently to prepare or even the mental health side of things in terms of, you know, Justin does a, you know, I think a lot of people have praised the work that he does. Are there any things in those areas that have also benefited you? Oh, yeah. I mean, I I think this training staff is about as hands-on as you can have, um, you know, we all have our own guys that we go to specifically that, you know, just speak our language, right? And I think there's guys that are a little rougher or I guess rougher is not the more deep tissue. And then other guys like surface level. Some guys like heat packs. Some guys like uh, a massage and or needles or cups or whatever. And so, you know, as a reliever, being available to pitch every day, you kind of know your body. And I think Courtney's done a great job with, you know, educating us on vitamin intake and tart cherries and then our recovery drinks and shakes and all kinds of stuff so this is a very elaborate plan um, both post-game and pre-game to make sure we're feeling as good as we can to take the field and play 162 and and, and to speak on Justin and the mental health I think been around several in the industry and I think he is about as good as they come when it comes to communicating um, we can all have a great message but if you're not a great communicator and can relate to people and, and find them where they are it's really difficult to kind of get in and I, I think he's done a great job of that and been a, and a great uh, asset to this team you mentioned relieving and when you pitched in Korea before coming back to the states you were a starter who made all your starts how has it been to adjust to relieving and who helped you find a routine that you could feel comfortable with yeah I I, uh, I know not many people know my story but yeah spending five years in, in Korea kind of becoming a 4A player here in the states and I guess my last year was 2014 I just wanted to start. I think that was just kind of in some in me that I'm like I can prove to be a starter. So over those five years, I made 30 plus starts and threw 180 innings and each year and, I, and played some postseason baseball. And I feel like I year each year I learned something new. You know, the first year was you know really how how to find navigate a 140 something game season as a starting pitcher. And then the next year was adding a cutter to you know establish insider righties. And then the year after that was kind of learning to you know, the change up or the split change that I throw now. And then the year after that was, you know, being able to move on the mound and being very comfortable holding runners. And and then just kind of each year trying to gain something that would eventually 
get me back to the States. And my wife will tell you that I was always intrigued by YouTube and fan graphs and all these things. I would go and <clears throat> find spin rates on guys and shapes and was just fascinated by it. And I was like, how do I get there? You know, I always felt like I had something missing to go back to this, to come back to America and play. Um, but I always felt like I was a big leaguer and I just kind of kept that with me and was working at my craft. And when the opportunity came in uh, 2020, I just made the decision that wherever I went, I was going to, I was okay with being a reliever at that time. And, you know, if I wasn't a starter, that's okay. Definitely thought I could do it. You know, I feel like you go into it knowing you want a certain kind of role. And then when I was told I was going to go to the bullpen, I feel like I just, I got to learn a new routine, right? And so I feel like 2020 kind of taught me a reliever's routine. And 21 last year, reliever's routine through 162, right? And then this year I felt way more comfortable in the day-to-day and, and being prepared to play every day. Is there anyone particularly who is really helpful in terms of advice or thoughts or feedback that, that you've kind of maybe not modeled the way you prepare but you learned a lot from? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think I had some great teammates in Houston. You know, I was always fascinated by position players. I feel like that's the toughest job in this sport, to, to have 600 at-bats, to swing, you know, seven hours before the game and take ground balls and prepare to have four at-bats in front of people. You know, it's a very difficult job, so I have the utmost respect for the way they prepare and go about their job. I go sit down in the bullpen and you call me, you know, in the seventh inning or whatever, and we go to work. But I don't know. I, I've, I've obviously learned a lot of guys to being gamers and, and making the most of those three hours when we're on the field. But all the preparation that goes into that, you know, and the way you take care of your body and, and just the little things. Um, I thought Carlos Correa was, was one of the best teammates I've had. And then I also really enjoyed uh, spending time with the back-end relievers and, and Presley and, and some of those guys, just how they prepare, they went about their job, and they weren't necessarily considered or worried about one outing or more amped up or nervous about one experience, win, you know, win or lose. It was my preparation's the same. I'm prepared to play. My success will come when I execute these things, right? And so a real plan, real routine, and they just stuck to it for, for a whole season. Having spent, though, those five years in Korea, how much do you think that makes you a better teammate, especially maybe here because you've got – Players on the 40-man from Taiwan, from Korea, from Colombia, from Panama, from the Dominican, all those different environments where you yourself were a foreigner not knowing the language in Korea. Oh, yeah, I think it's invaluable. I mean, I had spring training in Taiwan. I had vacation in Japan for a couple different years and obviously played in Korea the entire time, but also went and played winter ball in the Dominican. So I, I feel like I can relate. I think the Dominican opened my eyes when I was 25. I went and played there for six weeks and just opened my eyes to – the culture shock that I had there, they have here, right? And, and communication and with your coaching staff to finding a meal outside of the ballpark. So I, I, uh, I've always gone out of my way to try to make sure those guys feel comfortable and, and anything they need that, you know, a local guy can provide them. We always try to be there. And, you know, I've obviously got to know G-Man really well and speak Korean him, to him sometimes. We have a good chuckle every now and again. But um, he still hasn't taken me out to a restaurant here. I'm still waiting on that. But, no, I just – I don't know. You just – this sport, it's all – you just want people to feel very comfortable in the clubhouse and no matter where they're from and being a foreign player where there was only three of us on our teams in Korea, you know, I was always embraced. I loved my teammates and they, they went out of their way to provide meals and rides and all kinds of stuff. So I always wanted to offer that to them. What did you enjoy most about that experience? What do you miss most? Man, the crowds there were, they never sat down from the first pitch of the game. Every, every player, every player had a, um, walkout song that they sang themselves and beat drums and very animated fans 
after the game, you'd walk through this huge line, and they're going crazy with your family walking through it. It was really, really cool experience. And what I missed the most would definitely be the food. My wife and I learned to love the food. Everything from Korean barbecue to the hot soups and, you know, you name it, we loved it. Um, so I, th- I definitely missed that. When we see some of the pictures that G-Man shows us, we, we definitely miss it. Well, hopefully there's – it's great to hear you having many great experiences here in Tampa Bay, and hopefully a, a lot of success the rest of this year and for next two. Yeah, I hope so. I appreciate it, Neil. We uh, continue on This Week in Rays Baseball in just a moment. We appreciate Brooks Raley being with us, and we'll continue right after this. You're listening to the Rays Baseball Network. We continue on This Week in Rays Baseball. Neil Solon's now joined by Dave and Andy on this, the final weekend before the trade deadline. Guys, thanks for being with us. Always good. Thank you, Neil. Hello, Neil. Let's uh, let's start with the trading deadline and the move the Rays made yesterday. What did each of you think of David Peralta, and what do you think he brings? Well, clearly this team needs uh, an offensive boost. Uh, I can't imagine any team winning as often as the Rays have when they're missing their main guys at catcher, second, short, center, and right. So they've been able to tread water. They haven't certainly separated themselves from any of the other teams, but they also haven't been buried. And uh, how many times have we said in our closing segment before we sent it to you, Neil, that the reason the Rays lost this or that game is because they pitched well enough, but they could not come up with enough offense, certainly not a timely hit. So, you know, they've, they've, I think the guys that have been here are to be credited for pushing and keeping this team where they are, but adding a, a proven hitter like Peralta, and he's an amazing story anyway, going back to his days as a pitcher with the Cardinals. Uh, he's been an incredible story, and he's been with Arizona pretty much the whole time. So for him to join a race, and this is definitely a race, and it should be going through this final uh, month and a half or whatever it is, I think he can only help. I, I agree, and I think, again, uh, you know, he's, he's a piece. He's not, like, the guy. I mean, he's, it's not like we traded for Nelson Cruz. I think he's one of those guys that maybe kind of like a Jesus Aguilar or something of that uh, ilk that's going to come in and help lengthen the lineup out. But as a six or seven guy, as He's, you know, today he's batting, what, in the uh, five hole. So, you know, just a guy, hopefully, that can give you some professional at-bats, knocking some runs when needed, and then you go from there. But uh, a good outfielder, and then I think the other thing, too, is he checks all the boxes when you come over to the Rays. Uh, a good player can play some defense, can throw a little bit, former pitcher, which is kind of funny, and then also just uh, what we're hearing. And you can tell, by the way, the Diamondbacks put it together right away. A, a good clubhouse guy, a guy that's going to fit right in with this uh, culture with the Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah, how important is that right now? Because you remember the Rays have lost Mike Zunino and Kevin Kiermaier for the year. We know Manuel Margot was a leader in this clubhouse, especially with the young Latin players. To get an older player who's been there, done that a little bit, how much do you think that value in the clubhouse is needed, too, with all the youth the Rays have had to really put in bigger spots? Well, I don't know if it's you know anything that's going to uh, you know help the, the young guys other than the fact that maybe it just takes a little pressure off of them that they don't have to feel like they have to provide. Uh, all that offense. Uh, maybe they'll, like, you know, you know, stop squeezing the sawdust out of the bat. I don't know. I mean, obviously, you know, it, it already took a, a young player out of the lineup, and that is uh, Josh Lowe, who gets sent down. But uh, you know, again, for Taylor Walls, we just—he's he, not only playing for this year. I think he's starting to play for next year too. He's got to start showing mm-hmm. that he is making some adjustments offensively, or else, uh, really, this could be kind of a lost season offensively for him. So, looking for him to kind of settle things down, and all the young guys to maybe, all right, maybe now you're down a further peg in the lineup. Maybe it does take a little pressure off those ABs later on in the game. And as you know, Neil, when you come down the stretch, it really is all about winning. I mean, leadership is is important. I'm not going to overlook that overall. But when you start winning as a unit, everybody starts to have a, a completely different feeling. I mean, when the Rays won 6-7 going into the break, uh, we weren't talking about anything outside of the fact that they were winning mm-hmm. baseball games. Then they lose 6-7 to 
and then you're looking around and saying, well, who can they turn to uh, as a leadership uh, in, in this group? When you win, that's really all that matters, especially with 60-some games to go. It's just about banking as many wins. It's not even about banking wins at this point. It, you look at the schedules, and uh, they, they need to win some games in August. September is going to be a grind. Hopefully, though, by that point, you have Franco and, and Margot and maybe some of those relievers back even here in the month of August. It's just about winning. I, I don't want to say leadership is uh, overly... Uh, stressed upon, but it just comes down to when you win, no one's asking about who's leading. It's going to be an interesting next 48 hours for sure. 6 o'clock on Tuesday is the trading deadline, so this is truly the last game for the Rays before the deadline. More likely they add pitching or more offense or position players before Tuesday's 6 o'clock deadline. Got to be pitching. I'm all about pitching. I I really, I I think it's got to be about pitching and probably back-end pitching. I know that right now we're looking at JT Shagwa and Nick Anderson possibly coming back and helping us here before it's all said and done. But, uh, you know, we put quite the load on Jason Adam. And as it, it was, we, I'm not expecting the bottom to fall out with Jason Adam, but, I mean, this guy has, was, was the 27th or 28th man on the roster when we broke uh, from camp in Port Charlotte, and uh, he's exceeded all expectations. Now, yes, he can maybe go out there and have an incredible season. I mean, he's got great stuff, but he doesn't have as much swing and miss stuff as maybe you would like toward the end of games, and so I'd like to see us get a bend there, done that reliever, and maybe a back end or a bottom portion of the rotation kind of starter that we can either use as a bulk guy or whatever, and maybe allow us to start using some openers a little bit more, yeah. but uh, I'm all about pitching. I, I think that, uh, you know, again, hopefully uh, the offense we get back will be enough to just upgrade this offense enough, but, uh, you know, instead of losing 3-2, I'd like to see us start winning 4-3. to three. Yeah, and, and to me, it was so exciting to see what Pete Fairbanks did yesterday. That confrontation with Jose Ramirez was really, uh, it was epic, to, to coin the modern cliche. It was. It was fastball after fastball after fastball at 99. And a guy that is just crushing the league, especially with runners on base this year and leading the league again in extra base hits in Ramirez. I mean, that was the guy you were hoping to avoid. And Pete said, don't worry about it, boys. I got 99 in my hip pocket. And then you get Shagwa back, and it wouldn't be something of Anderson. And I tell you what, I know we've been told to not get too excited about Tyler Glass now, but seeing him warming that bullpen yesterday certainly whets the appetite. And wouldn't it be something if he could be a part of this thing? I mean, you look at the roster, you could have in September a third of the roster be different if you get Mejia, Franco, Harold Ramirez, Margo back on the position player side, and then you're still looking at Whistler, Anderson, Shagwa, Fire Eyes, and Chirinos Glass now among the potential pitchers who could return. I mean, that's a dramatic change beyond what may happen on Tuesday. How does this team still the record they are with all they've lost? I mean, it's it's amazing. Uh, they've really been about a 500 team for the last, what, month, month and a half or two. But how about getting Harold Ramirez back in this lineup, too? I mean, boy, oh, boy, have, have we missed him because he hits lefties and righties, too. I, his at-bats were so valued, and they had him out for a significant amount of time. I mean, when this roster gets back, wouldn't it be something if we end the year the way we thought it would look uh, back at the beginning, plus making additions like Peralta? That's, you know, what you've pointed out, Neil, the Braves weren't even to 500 a year ago at this time. And I don't, you know, you can't really expect one of those runs ever. They just happen. You get the horseshoe thing going on. But I could envision a case where if everything goes right, this team still could have one heck of a run in them. Well, the, the Braves won it because they got some timely hitting during the, the postseason, obviously. And then when they led after five or six innings, the game was over. And you think about the pieces and their bullpen that when we saw them last year right after the All-Star break, we sent a couple of those guys out because we beat them up late in games. And then they came back and became uh, you know a big, big part of their run to the World Series. We're, we're, you know, we're, we're looking at, like you said, I mean, trade acquisitions, of uh, some very, very key people without having to give anything up. 
if all those guys do come back from injury and are able to perform at the level that we kind of just hope that they can perform at. And uh, if that's the case with the pitchers we're getting back and the offensive players getting back, this could be a very, very dangerous team if indeed they do get to the postseason. All that said, the here and now is what we're talking about, and winning now is certainly important. And I guess if you're going to try and win a series against Cleveland, you've got the guy you want on the mound today, right? I mean, Shane? Oh, without a doubt. I mean, he is the guy. I mean, he's the MVP of this team. And and I don't normally look at a pitcher uh, and consider them initially as MVPs of teams, even when they've had great years. I tend to look at position player guys, but he's the MVP of this team. I don't even really think it's – it's like I don't even know who number two would be. Maybe Jason Adam at this point. But I think uh, during that losing streak uh, on the road, the biggest stinger of them all was the one where McClanahan oh. dominated the Orioles, and then he ended up losing the game. So I mean, he, you know, and I think too. Remember, Kevin Cash said that they were probably going to pull him after six, but his pitch count was in such good order they let him go the seventh. So I think today the bullpen's in decent shape. If you can get six really good innings from Shane again, Dave, I think you're in pretty good shape. And then again, if he's at 80 pitches, who knows? Maybe they let him go another. Shane says he's in great shape. Shane says he's feeling good. He wants uh, the ball. He wants to be able to pitch as many innings as possible. So we'll see. I just want him to go out there and, again, continue to do what he does. And uh, like you said, made I don't even know if you want to call it two mistakes. Uh, maybe one mistake, the changeup that was hit later on in the game that went out of the ballpark. But the first one to Cedric Mullins, that was just a case of you know him being ready for that first pitch. But uh, for you to go out there and, and pitch, what, seven innings and give up two runs and your ERA goes up, that tells you how good he's been. And I expect him to be really, really good this afternoon, too. Well, let's hope for more of that. Uh, guys, have a great call and enjoy the off day. And let's hope for a couple more additions before Tuesday. As always. Sounds good, Neil. You. Thanks. All right, that's Dave and Andy. Now let's turn our attention to the minor league side and join me, prospect Ronnie Simon with the race. Jairo de la Rosa, conmigo están prospecto Ronnie Simon y Jairo de la Rosa de los Reyes. Gracias por tu tiempo. Gracias, gracias. El placer es mío. Thank you, thank you. It's my pleasure. First, you were traded to the Rays before the year. Were you surprised? Fuiste cambiado a los Rays el año pasado. Uh, ¿Te sorprendiste? Un poco. Me sorprendí un poco porque dentro de todo, todos los parámetros y todo eso, eh, pude, pude comprender dentro de todos los prospectos que hay en la organización, eh, buscaron otros más, otro más eh, y me sorprendí por la competencia que puede haber aquí y puede sacar lo mejor de ti en esa parte. Pues, I was a little bit surprised uh, knowing that uh, Tampa Bay has a lot of prospects and they went on, on a search for another prospect. So when I got here, uh, the biggest surprise was seeing the level of, uh, of uh, competition that they have here among the players with all of the prospects that uh, we have in our system. I also heard, though, that you were excited about being traded for a major leaguer. Uh, escuche que estabas emocionado de ser cambiado por un jugador de Grandes Ligas, ¿sí? Sí, estaba muy emocionado porque al ver esa parte, esa perspectiva, Puedo, me pueden determinar como una persona que puede llegar a ser igual o mejor como la persona que me transfirieron, o sea, me traspasaron. Entonces es muy, muy importante un jugador de liga menor a ser trasladado por un grande liga viene siendo eh, algo excitante, algo muy, muy, muy grato para tu persona y para el desarrollo que tú has venido eh, teniendo. When you see that you're being traded uh, one on one for a big leaguer, 
you know, it gives you a different perspective, you know, being in the minors and then the team is willing and able to trade you for a big leaguer. You know, it's exciting because you can kind of see the future and the comparison that they're, they're, they're making at the moment. One-on-one for a big leaguer, you know, that is a big deal. So uh, I was really excited when I saw that that happened to me. So what has this year been like? ¿Cómo ha sido este año? Ha sido de mucho aprendizaje, en verdad. Eh, el año pasado fue mi primer año en Estados Unidos. Este año ha sido de mucho aprendizaje por la razón de que, vuelvo y reitero, tenemos muchos peloteros muy buenos. Entonces, en vez, en vez de tú quedar de último, tú nunca vas a querer, querer quedar de último en, en la situación donde estamos. Entonces, eso es lo que saca la mejor, lo mejor de ti y saca mejor provecho. Entonces, desde tu punto de vista, al tener tantos peloteros buenos, tú lo que quieres es sacar lo mejor de ti y ser igual o mejor que ellos. This has been a learning year for me. You know, knowing that my, my uh, last year was my first year playing in the U.S. and all of that, you know, gives me the, the sense of competition. Playing with that many good players, you know, you never want to be the last on the list. So you want to be one of those uh, really good players that compete uh, to continue to win. And, and that, that's what I'm learning, you know, uh, learning to, to play and compete with players that are as good as me. Recently, you were promoted. What did that mean to you? Uh, recientemente fuiste ascendido de Bowling Green a Montgomery. Uh, ¿Qué significó eso para ti? En verdad es algo sumamente especial, porque cuando yo sé que se siente cuando estás trabajando en una liga y te suben para otra, eh, es como tomar tu trabajo en apreciación y que cada día te propones metas. O sea, siempre cada semana o cada mes, yo siempre me proponía una meta. Yo decía, bueno, este mes trato de que dar 30 y para estar de una forma. El mes próximo quiero dar tantos honrones y tanto así. Entonces, al tú tener eh, mucha competencia, siempre tratas de ser mejor o tratar de... O sea, tratas de ser mejor, pero nunca dejar de querer minimizar a los compañeros que tú tienes. Es ayudar y ser mejor, porque tú tienes, eh, para tú ser mejor, siempre te necesitas una ayuda de tu compañero. Nunca puedes ser el mejor siendo solo. This is one hand, this is about competition. On the other hand, this is about team uh, uh, building and, and, and leadership. To me, to go back to the question, it's really special. Especially because you know that the organization is appreciating, taking into account the efforts that you're putting day in and day out. Uh, I'm a person that I like to set goals for myself. So one month I want to I want to uh, finish uh, with 30 hits, and the next month I want to hit a few home runs. You know, uh, when when you see that that's being taken into account and are being promoted because you are meeting those goals and the performance is there. And, but I also want to add to this that knowing that we have a lot of competition here and that we want to win, it's not only about me, it's also about my teammates. You know, I can be good, but when I have a good teammate and I count on them to help me, then I can be really good. So at the end, you know, this is individual, but also you have to be a team player. And, yeah. and I hear that your energy and your positive attitude are really, really important. Yes, escucho que... Tu energía y actitud positiva uh, son fortalezas, ¿sí? Sí, en verdad, siempre, desde pequeño siempre he sido así, pero sí siempre he comprendido de que si estoy apagado, quizás el equipo está apagado. 
Entonces, por tal razón, yo siempre trato de mantener el equipo alegre, trato de siempre estar alegre yo, porque quizás con una sonrisa, con una alegría que yo tenga, pueda alegrarle el momento a otra persona que está pasando por un momento difícil o no ha sonreído en el día completo. Ese soy yo. That's, that's who I am. That's who I am. I've been like that since I was a little boy. And uh, let me tell you, I'm always like that. And, and I always like to be happy. I, like, I always like to bring, bring the happiness to the clubhouse. And here's the reason. Sometimes you know, people are not in the same situation uh, with, a, uh, with a smile, with a nice attitude, with good personality. You can change uh, people's life. You can change somebody's day that is not get, having uh, as good as the day that I may be having. So my happiness, it's uh, always have to be there. It's like my ID. And on the field, what are your strengths? ¿Cuáles son tus puntos fuertes? En el field, puedo decir que mis puntos fuertes tengo buena velocidad. Tengo... En mi punto de vista, tengo buenos alcances en el infield. Necesito trabajar, obviamente, cada día mejorar. Puedo batear, puedo golpear muy bien la bola. Tengo las manos rápidas al batear. Tengo muy, muy, muy buenas manos. Y creo que también puede ser un punto fuerte eh, eh, tratar de ayudar a mis compañeros. Eso es lo, lo, lo más importante para mí. O sea, que ellos me ayuden a mí a recibir consejos y también tratar de ayudarlo a ellos. Eso, eso es un punto clave en, 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 todas las, en todas las cosas. I'll say on the field, speed. I know I have quick hands. You know, I can really impact uh, the baseball when I'm hearing, hitting range. Uh, but more importantly, it's, it's uh, the ability to help uh, my teammates and help uh, my team. I'm being in a position in which they can give me their advice and we can uh, be the best team. And how do you want to improve this year? ¿Cómo has mejorado este año? Mucho. Eh, he mejorado tanto los trabajos extras, tratar de, de, de sacar, decirle al manager, eh, a, a los gerinco y cosas así, y los, los personales que tenemos. Tratar de mejorar las pequeñas, los pequeños detalles que tengo, que pueden ser eh, malos, pero tratando de, de mejorar cada día esa, esos pequeños detalles con el manager, los extra work, el league todo eso para tratar de sacar el mayor provecho de las habilidades que tengo. Uh, something that I've done this year is that I've been in, in touch, always asking questions to my manager, my coaches. So those small details that uh, they could be bad, but they're not as bad as they could be because I'm on top of it, uh, doing early work, extra, extra work, and asking the staff and the personal that is always working with me to continue to help me in those aspects. And could you tell me a little more about your story? Uh, quiero que los fanáticos aprendan más sobre ti. Dime tu historia. Uh, ¿Cuántos años tenías? Empezaste a jugar béisbol y, y, y uh, un poco como tu, uh, tu familia. Bien, es un poquito, un poquito sentimental, pero aquí, aquí vamos a comenzar. Yo comencé a los cinco o seis años a jugar béisbol eh, porque vi a mi hermano jugando béisbol y él me inspiró a jugar béisbol y todo y todo eso después de esa parte comencé a crecer comencé a los programas comencé a mi a la liga que comencé eh, a dar a practicar y todo eso y hubieron muchas veces eh, algunas ligas y algunos programas me rechazaban decían que yo era muy pequeño que no podía avanzar que no podía que podía jugar béisbol, pero que no, no tenía la, la suficiente estatura para poder estar aquí. Entonces llega un momento de que mi manager, que ahora mismo es el que me firmó, 
o sea, el, el que filmó conmigo desde que tenía 13 años, me acogió y desde ese instante él creyó en mí, me pasó a otro programa, allá en Dominicana se pasa a otro programa y al pasar a otro programa tratan de hacerte filmar, luego me lesioné teniendo 16 años, me lesioné de los riñones, tuve un problema en los riñones y luego que me pude recuperar en el programa que estaba, me votaron, me dijeron que no iba a tener la oportunidad de poder estar ahí y mi retorno a la liga donde comencé, mi manager me acogió y me dijo, bueno, vamos a avanzar, vamos a seguir dando lo mejor, vamos a, a tratar de filmarte porque tú tienes el talento necesario. Puedo hacer un esto y te explique y después seguimos. Well, I started playing when I when when I was five, uh, six, six years old. Uh, my brother also used to play, so um, he was like an inspiration to me. So then I I grew up. At uh, some point, uh, a lot of the programs that I that I attended to, they kicked me out of it because they thought that they thought that I was small, that I was never going to be a professional baseball player. And and then, and in the beginning, I said that uh, it it may be a little bit emotional because it, it, it was a sad reality to me. And, and then um, I met this person who is today my, my trainer, my Buscon. I joined his program, his academy, when I was 13 years old. Uh, since that age, you know, he embraced me and he helped me with everything I needed to become a professional baseball player. He has been my, one of my biggest support. So at the age of uh, uh, 16, I was uh, able to come back to baseball because I had a kidney problem that I was facing. And uh, I'm with that said, you know, that, that spring was, uh, spring was really tough, but that person was always there. So at the age 16, I came back, you know, fully playing baseball uh, with, uh, without having that illness. Mm, amazing. Um, and when were you, you were young, who were your favorite players? Cuando eras joven, quienes eran tus jugadores favoritas en, en las grandes ligas? José Reyes, José Reyes era mi jugador favorito por el talento, el desplazamiento y todo lo que podía hacer, el porte de Cioretón que tenía. E incluso siempre, cuando estaba en la Liga Menores, siempre quería, o sea, cuando estaba en programa y todo eso, quería cuadrarme como él, quería tener todo igual que él porque era mi jugador favorito. José Reyes, José Reyes has been and was my, my favorite player. You know, the, the type of player he was, the type of shortstop, the way he played. He went about his business on the field. Uh, so before I signed, you know, I went to I wanted to impersonate Jose Reyes all the time. The way he hit, out the same stance, you know, the way he went about the game. You know, I'm telling you, he was my my uh, player to follow. And the same personality, la misma personalidad, see? Yeah. Well, thank you so much for your time. I learned a lot. The fans learned a lot, and I wish you continued success. Uh, gracias por el tiempo yo aprendí mucho y los fanáticos aprendieron mucho y el éxito continuó gracias, gracias thank el you, placer thank es you. mío el placer es mío yeah. espero que seguir avanzando y que puedan seguir aprendiendo de, de Ronnie Simón it's, it's my pleasure I, I want to continue to develop I want to continue to grow uh, and so the fans can continue to learn uh, from Ronnie Simon Well, that is Ronnie Simone, 16 homers, 57 ribbies, and 25 steals so far between Bowling Green and Montgomery and an OPS of 781. Coming up, top draft pick Xavier Isaac, third base coach Rodney Linares, and Mike Farron of Sirius XM on the trade deadline. You're listening to This Week in Race Baseball on the Race Baseball Network. 
Welcome back to This Week in Rays Baseball. I'm Neil Solons. Monday at 5 o'clock is the deadline to sign draft picks. The Rays have signed 20 out of 22, including top choice and first baseman Xavier Isaac. He was at Tropicana Field on Friday, and I asked him what signing on the dotted line meant. It means everything. It's always been my dream to be a, a major league baseball player. I'm almost there, but got to keep, you know, putting the work in. So I'm ready, ready for it. How surprised were you on draft night? as to being a first-rounder and the, the fact that the Rays picked you? I was not really expected to be a first-rounder, but, like, I, I had a little chance in my mind that I knew the Rays liked me a lot and wanted to be a first-rounder, so they came to the chance of being a first-rounder, so loved it. Loved so, that moment. So tell me what draft night was like. Who were you with, and what was that moment when you either got a phone call or what happened? I was with my family, just family, no friends. Got that call around two minutes before the race pick and they were like you know we'll call you back if they're going to pick you they never called me back and so it was kind of a big surprise to me that I got picked by the race but you know it wasn't 100 percent that I was getting picked not zero percent I was getting picked so it was kind of a surprise to me so tell me about your family because when you get drafted that high it means a lot to everyone what is your family like what have they meant to you it meant everything to me. I started crying when I, you know, met them and just hugged them and, you know, all that. But loved it, you know, loved the moment. They loved the moment, you know, so I love it. You know, my family, and they're always going to, you know, be by my side. So, Can you tell me about your mom and dad, what they do and, and how they inspire you? My dad, he's always helped me, you know, hitting and then just started taking off from there. He's like, just do you. But he won't. He doesn't like me when I strike out looking. That's the only thing he doesn't like. But mom she's always been by my side she always wants to come to my games it's hard for her she ended up you know quitting her job so she can watch my whole you know spring season so everything means you know to her and all you know my family and my little brother of course i love my little brother so how old is he he is seven years old so. i'm guessing it's nice to have for him someone to look up to who's accomplished his dreams and yeah. is starting to oh yeah oh yeah he's getting there he'll be the next ray player i tell you that he's gonna be a first rounder don't you know look out for him so and for you, do you carry a little bit of your chip on your shoulder because the Rays took you? But there were a lot of people that said, boy, surprise the Rays took you. Yeah. I mean, like they said, the Rays don't, you know, follow the, the mock draft and the draft board. They think that whoever the best players are going to pick. But, you know, I'm going to doubt them. So they don't know. You know, a lot of people don't really know me like that because I got hurt last season. So a lot of people didn't see me on their boards, you know, second, third round. But I guess the Rays saw something else in me. And for people who haven't seen you, talk about your strengths as a ball player. What makes you a potential major leaguer? You know, the hitting part, of course. Everybody wants to be for my hitting. The power is going to be there, of course. The consistency, I'm always consistent. Everybody thinks I'm a strikeout guy, but I'm, I mean, I can shorten up, put the ball in play. But, of course, defensively, too, like everybody doubts that because all they see is my hitting. So they want to say that I'm not really good defensively, but I'm very good defensively. Didn't make any errors this spring, so. Very, you know, proud and saying that I'm good defensively, too. And that's North Carolinian and top Rays draft pick this year, Xavier Isaac, now down already in Port Charlotte after arriving to sign on Friday. Back at the major league level, third base coach Rodney Linares, it was announced this week, will manage his home country of the Dominican Republic in the World Baseball Classic, and I asked him about that honor. I've had an opportunity to digest it. Like, again, this is something that has been, like, this is coming back from 2020 we were talking and then the pandemic came and then at one point I thought it would never happen but you know uh, it's just a an honor and kind of surreal that I get to you know manage a team that 
you know, guys like Manny Acta, Felipe Lou, Tony Pena are the only guys that have managed that team. So to put my name there, it's quite an honor. I was surprised to learn this is the first time you're going to represent the Dominican in any capacity. Yep. What does that mean? Yeah, it means a lot. It means a lot. I, I, I think I, I've already said it. I think the only time I've wore the flag was in the 2015 uh, Futures game that I ended up uh, doing the Futures game in Cincinnati. Uh, and that was super cool. I, I think it's one of my favorite pictures ever, just having a little patch with the uh, with the flag there. And yeah, like growing up, I was never big into going to tournaments. Like my dad worked in baseball so long, so I was traveling so much. And then it never materialized. Any, every time we something happened, it was either lack of funding or something, so we couldn't do tournaments. Watching the previous WBCs, it seemed like there was a different level of pride for the Dominican Republic, probably for Venezuela too, than there was maybe in the States. Can you speak to that and how how it's different? I think that once you put the flag in front, you know, all the egos and everything goes out the window. You know, you just want to win, you just want to represent your country. And I think that's part of it. Like uh, every player that I've talked to uh, before I was even the manager they were all like pumped like we're, we're going to do this I don't care where I go I, I just want to go I want to be part of the team I want to help whatever I can do so I think it's some it's, it's more of a pride thing than anything else can you walk us through how it all came about well like I said before we I started the process back in 2020 in spring training before we shut down we talked, and then the pandemic came. Everything was uh, canceled, and I thought for 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 a long time I thought it wasn't going to happen. And then when Nelson got the job, I still talked to the uh, people in the federation. I talked to a couple people in the federation. And then when Nelson got the job, he sent me a uh, message one day saying, "Hey, we need to talk." And I said, "Well, you got my number. You can call me anytime." And then uh, we we connected once. And then after that, I, w I had like crickets for a little while, so I was getting a little worried because there were a lot of people like, speculating and stuff. But then he called me, I think, uh, the first off day in uh, Dominican when I was in Dominican, and he just said, you want to do it? And I said, sure, buddy. You've managed a lot of years in the minors. You spend a lot of years now, a few years here with the Rays. You've had a lot of success. Is this the highlight of your career to this point? I think it would be the highlight of anybody's career to represent your country and manage a team going out of your country. I think it's, again, it's like a dream come true. But yeah, I think this tops it in, in my list. And working with Nelson, what's that going to be like for you? I don't know. It's kind of weird. <laughs> it's kind of weird right now because he was a player. But again, everybody that's been around Nelson know the type of person Nelson is. So I'm pretty sure it's going to be awesome. Will you have much say in the actual roster itself? And how difficult will that be? Because there are a lot of talented players who want to be part of it. Everything's going to depend on the health of the players. Like coming coming through January, see who's healthy, who's not. There's, I'm pretty sure there's going to be players that are not going to be permitted to play because of injuries with their teams or contracts. Uh, but but uh, yeah, we've, we've connected. We've talked a little bit. Uh, I'm going to have a say yes uh, to answer your question, yes. But ultimately, he's going to be whatever, you know, what Nelson and the and, and his people uh, come up, come about with the players. And, you know, I'm, I'm happy just listening to the names that are being thrown around. So, And how many messages have you gotten? And what's one that maybe stood out to you that really touched you? Uh, I got a lot. But I, I don't, 
there was uh, I think Johnny Washington from Chicago Cubs, uh, the uh, hitting coach for the Cubs, or is he assisting hitting coach for the Cubs? He sent me a message, uh, like it was a really moving message. Yeah, but then you know I've, I've talked to my dad. I've talked to I probably had a couple. I th- I'm going to say like 1,400 messages between WhatsApp and uh, and the uh, social media. So yeah, so I spent a lot of time on the plane trying to reach out back to people that were reaching out. So that was pretty cool. And that's Rays third base coach Rodney Linares on managing in the World Baseball Classic for the Dominican Republic. Let's turn back to uh, the here and now and joining me to discuss the trading deadline, which is now oh, 48, 54 hours away, is Mike Farron of SiriusXM. Mike, great to have you on. Great to be with you, Neil. How are you? I'm good. I mean, you can give us probably the best perspective on the newest addition to the club since you were around him for several years in David Peralta. Yeah, I, I mean, really um, energetic guy and player. Um, he is, um, you know, a great story. And I don't know how much you know about his background, but, you know, he was originally mm-hmm. signed by by the Cardinals as a pitcher and hurt his shoulder and was released and went back and played in the industrial leagues in Venezuela at the encouragement of his dad to try and make it as a hitter. And that's basically like indie ball in Venezuela made his way to the States, wanted to try and play independent ball here, and had to work at a McDonald's to get enough money to get to, I think it was Laredo, to be able to play. And within a year and a half, the Diamondbacks had signed him, and within a year of them signing him out of indie ball, he made it to the big league because it was a staple. Um, you know, he rates pretty well in the defensive metrics as a left fielder. You know, he has a gold glove award for that. Um, I don't know that, that it always passes the eye test in that regard, but some of that is because it's left field, too, which is uh, probably less of a focus defensively for a lot of teams. But hits the ball hard, went through a big swing adjustment this winter with Mike Brantley um, of the Astros, and you know he's striking out more than he has before, but he also has reclaimed some of the power that he had when he was a silver slugger in 2019. So it's a really intriguing fit against right-handed pitching for the Rays, he does a lot of things that they like, and I think he's going to he's going to be a fan favorite with the way that he plays. He wasn't Phoenix, and obviously very needed with all the injuries the Rays have had for sure. And I, I I wouldn't be surprised if the Rays continue to try and add, whether it's on the offensive side or the pitching side. I think the thing that's hard to tell, and maybe you can offer some perspective: who is a seller? Because there are some teams like Boston, San Francisco, Texas. I'm not quite sure what they are right now. Yeah, I think I, I'm. I'm starting more and more to try and get away from the binary buyer and seller, right? I think that there are, you know, I had one general manager, this was a couple of years ago, say, explained that in his mind, there are two acquisition windows via trade. There's the off season and then there's that time right before the deadline. And outside of that, you don't see very many trades made. And so I think there are times where teams like say Texas is in that mold can be both, right? They might have some, some players on expiring contracts, that they're willing to move, but they also are far more competitive than they were a year ago and would like to be competitive in 2023. And so maybe they're trying to acquire pieces at the same time. Um, you know, and I think the same kind of goes for Boston and San Francisco. In fact, we saw San Francisco do this in 2019 where they were still in the mix. They traded some bullpen pieces. They added one or two guys um, and they had a really good August before falling apart in September and falling out of the race. So I think, there are a number of teams that are willing to trade players from their major league roster that are on expiring contracts. I don't think it's necessarily just those traditional sellers. Now that said, that still leaves, you know, even if you were to take out say Boston, San Francisco, as many as 10 teams that could be moving players on expiring contracts. Now, some of them like 
Uh, I think Pittsburgh or Arizona aren't necessarily going to move guys with control because they're getting closer to their competitive windows mm-hmm. opening. But I do think that there are opportunities to be able to add there. And, and for the most part, I think, you know, you know, like we see at every deadline, it's going to be reliever Palooza come Tuesday. How does the extra wild card change uh, the way things are at this deadline compared to past years? Yeah, I mean, maybe a little bit. I don't know that it changes it a whole lot. I think the second wild card probably had more of an impact on buyers versus sellers because there was a one-game playoff involved than this one does. Um, And I think it's just, you know, again, like I think it's the evolution of acquisition windows probably changes it some. But, you know, you're not going to trade away your key pieces, I think, if you're – um, you know, within within range, if you feel like you have a chance. Now, you know, for San Francisco and Boston, they have to kind of come to grips with that. I mean, San Francisco, both teams have not had good Julys, um, and you know, in particular since the All Star break, the you know, the Giants are coming off their worst road trip in what nearly forty years, um, and have what won I think two of the first three against Chicago uh, in this series, but. They're kind of on the fringes of it. So I think those are where the teams that have to make a decision are. But that's not all that different than we've seen in the past. I mean, I think back to when um, Detroit did something similar. It would have been, uh, help me out, maybe 2014 or 2015, uh, when they traded David Price, right, to Toronto. Um, they were a team that wasn't selling until they were. And I get the sense that there's probably a couple of those teams that are in the mix. But I think for the most part, I think if we were to look at this and compare it to the playoff format we had a year ago, we'd probably see a pretty similar number of teams. And so far in terms of deals, obviously the Yankees have gotten Benintendi, the Rays have gotten Peralta, the big deal with Seattle getting Luis Castillo on the American League side. Which other teams do you think are going to make a big move and for whom? Well, I think some of it depends on what happens with Juan Soto and if the Nationals do decide to move him. And if they do, I think the Cardinals are really well positioned. They have both the talent and the need to be able to make a deal there. Um, their talent dwarfs what San Diego could offer. So I think that's, that's one team. Um, you know, I think there are a number of teams that are involved on Frankie Montas because I think he's, you know, he's the best uh, available starter probably. Um, you know, I think, I think you can make an argument that Pablo Lopez of Miami – would be too, but I think Miami has some very specific needs in terms of major league ready bats that makes it a little tougher to make a deal um, than it will be for Montas. Montas has a year and a half of control. He's a former all-star. He missed a little time with a shoulder issue, but but has come back and made two starts now. And I believe it's scheduled to start again tomorrow. So there's going to be another look at him potentially. But I think he's one of the guys that will be a major focus for teams um, you know, coming into the deadline. And I think that's that's going to be, you know, the usual suspects. Basically, anybody who didn't get Luis Castillo, who wanted Luis Castillo, is going mm-hmm. to be in on Frankie Montas. And that might include a team like the Rangers, who apparently were heavily in the mix for Castillo. Um, and, again, like looking to add for uh, a way that can help them in 2023 when they feel like they have a chance to compete. So I think Soto will be the big name to watch. I don't get the sense that Otani is uh, nearly as serious as that report made it sound like on Friday, but yeah, here's, here's for surprises. Maybe we'll get a couple big names, because it's always more exciting when we get the wow moment. Indeed. And if we don't, there's there are still some guys who could get moved or may not. I'm curious what Baltimore is going to do. I mean, Trey Mancini didn't get moved last year. Now they're over 500, and they're obviously still in a playoff hunt. Yeah, and the thing is, is that they could do a couple of things that would be what we were talking about, like buying and selling at the same time. So, 
you know, I, I think everybody is focused on Mancini because he's a free agent. And obviously, he's an extremely popular player in Baltimore, and I, and I know you know the story of you know the significance of Thursday with the uh, I'll use air quotes inside the park home run and why that was kind of a special <laughs> moment there. But Anthony Santander is another player who's been on the trade market and has more control. They have a ton of outfielders. Santander, I think, in a lot of respects, is having a similar or better year and gives you more positional flexibility than Mancini does. They might be able to trade. Santander to get a controllable starting pitcher that can help them not just this year but in future years and keep them in the race. So that's something to watch. Now, that's something that Michael Elias hasn't had to do before because he hasn't been in this position. But I wouldn't look at Baltimore as being a seller. I think that there's a chance that they could take some of those expiring contracts, move them, but then also add to try and make their team at least as strong for 22 with the idea of it being better in 23 and 24. We're seeing Cleveland. What do you make of the Central with Cleveland, Minnesota, and Chicago, and who's going to be the aggressor? I love beautifully flawed pennant races, and they are beautifully <laughs> flawed, all three of those teams. So I really like Cleveland squad. I wish they had more power, and I feel like for the last five years we've been saying, gee, all the Guardians need is another outfield bat, and that's kind of the way I still feel. Um, I think they're the team that's best positioned to, to win that division by – you know, a week's worth of games. Because they're starting pitching is strong. They have a very good bullpen. Um, you know, I, I really like the pieces that they have there. So I think that there's, they're in a good position, too, in terms of the depth of their farm system to be able to add someone who can impact the lineup on a daily basis. The White Sox have a ton of flaws and a ton of needs. They are not particularly good defensively. They don't run the bases well. They have not been a good offensive team. And they have bullpen issues as well because of, of injuries, you know, that caught Garrett Crochet this season and also that have you know, impacted Joe Kelly's year. So they have a lot of issues there. The Twins desperately need some starting pitching and probably a back end of bullpen help. And I don't think that it's necessarily as easy for those two teams to fill what the needs are that Cleveland does. Rental bats, as, as evidenced by the Peralta trade, don't net you a ton at the deadline. Um, and I thought, you know, I thought that was kind of a fleet thing by the Rays in that deal. Um, and so if you're Cleveland and you have this deep farm system, there's that chance that you can maybe pry away someone who's only kind of available uh, because you have more depth. So I would keep an eye on them in, like, say, a spot like Oakland with Sean Murphy um, or Ramon Laureano or both. I think those are uh, the kind of players that Cleveland could go and get and would position themselves for a division championship. Mike, great stuff as usual. Uh, we look forward to following your work at the deadline on SiriusXM, and we certainly appreciate some time on this week in race baseball. Always love talking to you, Neil. Appreciate it. You got it. Good to chat with Mike Farron of SiriusXM, and we certainly appreciate him and all of our guests on the program today, including race reliever Brooks Raley, of course, Dave and Andy, prospect Ronnie Simone, Top pick this year for the Rays, Xavier Isaac, and also Rays third base coach and now manager of the Dominican Republic team for the WBC, that being Rodney Linares. If you ever have something you want to hear on the show, all you have to do is tweet me, and you can do so at Neil Solons. On next week's show, Jalen Beeks plus Eric Neander and a trading deadline recap. Special thanks to my producer today, John Dugas. I'm Neil Solon. Stay tuned. The pregame show is next. It's the Rays and the Guardians. This is the Rays Baseball Network. Thank you for listening to This Week in Rays Baseball. Breaking ball lifted in the air, way up there, in the right field and deep. Judge is going back towards the corner at the wall. Gone! And the
the Rays jump in front four to one. If you missed any of the show, catch it on archive at RaysBaseball.com slash radio. With first and second, the one-two pitch. Swing and a miss. Keep it right here. The Rays pregame show is next.